Yes, we are back again. How's it going, everybody? Hope you're all doing well. Hope the end of the season treated you well. Fans of Seattle, North Texas, Real Monarchs, whoever won NISA this year. I think it was Detroit that won the NPSL crown this year. Congratulations to all of you. For the rest of the clubs out there, commiserations. There's always next season. We've got an MLS club to talk about this week. We're going to be speaking to Felix Palau of Third Rail Bronx, which is, of course, the supporters group for New York City FC. Before we get into that, I have a bit of a personal advertisement to get into, if you don't mind. As many of you know, I am a member of the 19th Regiment, which is a supporters group for Hartford Athletic, the new USL club that just had their first season. And since this is our first official off-season, we're getting into some community events. The project that I'm heading right now is very near and dear to my heart. This is something personal for me, so I wanted to reach out to all my listeners to see if I could get some help. Now, while I was an undergrad at the University of Connecticut, I took part in this project called Huskython, which is a year-long fundraising project. Different clubs, organizations, Greek life, alumni, community members, all competed to raise money for the Connecticut Children's Medical Center, which is our local branch of the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Throughout the year, you go through various events and projects to raise money. Capped off with an 18-hour dance marathon where everybody gets pushed to their limit. And you get to learn the resilience of some of the kids that are going through a lot of tough illnesses in some of these children's hospitals, particularly ours with some of the kids that I've met in previous years. I am actually a former patient of CCMC. I got surgery there while I was in high school. Let me just say it was really refreshing having people around that were professionals that knew what to do and basically did everything in their power to make you feel like you were going to be okay, no matter what it was. I mean, I know with my experience, I mean, what I dealt with, I won't get into the specifics exactly, but it was peanuts compared to some of the kids that are in there, you know, cancer patients, different genetic diseases, all these different things that could show how bad of a hand you could be dealt as a child. And one of the greatest things about it is it helps financially with some of the costs for those who are less fortunate and might not have the insurance or the backing in order to make sure that everything gets sought out. In the four years of undergrad that I went through the program, I raised about $1,000. Last year overall, the Husky Bond program raised $1.3 million for this children's hospital. It is an incredible achievement seeing that this is something that is only about 19 years old. I think 1999 or 2000 was the first event. And now that I have the 19th Regiment behind me, now that we have this team that can put something together for the community, that can make a splash while we're waiting on the next season to come along, I really want to make this the biggest and best event that this has ever been. So here's what I'm going to do for my listeners and anybody else that wants to get involved. I'm going to provide links to the team's fundraising page and my official fundraising page for this event on our Twitter accounts. So at Harper's 19s is the official supporters group Twitter account. My personal Twitter account is at that geek from JFK. I wish I knew how to change it. I don't. That's for high school Pete to condemn a name like that. I'm going to make this a competition for everybody. So if you quote tweet either one of those links with the hashtag 19sftk. 19SFTK and donate $5 or more to either the teams or my own fundraising pages. I'm going to pick one of you randomly and I'm going to give a $25 gift card to wherever. It could be any chain restaurant, anything that somebody from Connecticut could get their hands on to send to you. Almost like an online 50-50 raffle type thing. I get that. This is just the first wave, I think, in a few events that both myself and the rest of the 19th Regiment and all the other supporters groups for Hartford Athletic are going to get involved in over the next couple of months. But we're going to run this competition until New Year's. So I'm going to pick one of you randomly who donated. Give that little gift. So like I said, check the pin tweets on both those Twitter accounts. Donate wherever you can. Hashtag 19sftk. And we're going to try and make this thing the best it can possibly be. As a Dreamboat TV doctor once said, it's a beautiful day to save some lives. 
Let's have some fun. But speaking of fun, let's move on to the podcast this week. Felix Palau is the vice president and main TIFO creator for the Bronx chapter of the Third Rail. I actually met him the same day that I went to go see a recording of the Cooligans back when they were still just a podcast, which, by the way, shouts to you guys for making it on TV. My episode with Christian Polanco, of course, is still available wherever you get your podcast. But before Hartford Athletic, there was New York City FC for me. I'm a New York sports guy when it comes to everything else. So we get to talk about how the team was built, how the supporters' culture was built, and really what makes New York City FC unique in a lot of ways because of its success in creating a supporters atmosphere that links with the actual culture of the city overall. Now, of course, there's one caveat to that whole claim, mainly in the form of a Huffington Post article that was released earlier in the season involving events that happened, I think, last season or two seasons ago, where it was found that a couple of members of the Proud Boys organization got involved with the supporters group a little too much for comfort. That we get into, but I wait until the very end of the conversation. Obviously, I know politics and sports, some people like it, some people don't. I do probe those questions, and I think it's a it's a worthy enough response for anybody who has any anger towards that whole ordeal. But that, of course, is until the end. I wanted everybody to be able to enjoy this, not just the people that are politically Joe Rogan-y type minded. You'll have a good enough warning beforehand. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review. It's always important. Helps more people see the show. I'm Pete. This is Between the Sticks. Let's rock and roll New York style. been uh, a bit of a heartbreaker the last couple of weeks yeah you know um it, it was it was pretty rough man um just being ha- having to deal with um a lot of things that weren't necessarily in our favor you know you know for that match it was um you know I- i'll tell you something right now um i was sitting with a lot of supporters in the 300 section you know in that mezzanine level at, at city field and you know it just didn't feel familiar man i mean we have our you know our supporter section at yankee stadium we had you know our, our acoustics our you know our seating arrangements the way we want to kind of get uprooted and and really you know have to make do at City Field was pretty tough. I mean, we were at a point where that overhang, we couldn't see downstairs. You know, we couldn't see straight down into the art, you know, that, that um, 18 that was in front of us. I'm having to look over to the side, you know, really look over to the other monitor that was, um, you know, beyond the um, right field wall and just really be able to have to piece it together from there. Uh, and, and it wasn't the same, man. And I feel like a lot of those things, you know, could have been, you know, easily mitigated. But at the end of the day, we, you know, the supporters, we showed up. Unfortunately, the result wasn't what we wanted it to be. But it was just, you know, now that the reality of it has set in, you know, it's a couple weeks removed. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of things we can improve on, you know, going into 2020. I feel that, you know, there's a lot of things where we can, you know, improve at least tactically, you know, we're going to have another transfer window, you know, even though we, we did lose our coach today, you know, Dome out and all that. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it's, um, I really feel like we have a lot of work to do, but I feel we can be as competitive, if not more competitive in 2020. 
you know, I feel like the pieces are a lot better together than they were in the yeah. Patrick Vieira, David Villa era, just because I feel like there's not as much reliance on one guy. You exactly. Know? I feel like Moxie's stepping up. I feel like, you know, they're all stepping up to make sure. <laughs> Ring, Alex Ring, our captain. Alex our Ring, captain. yeah. You know, it definitely sounds like everybody's kind of stepping up in a way so that it's an actual team environment as opposed to kind of the MLS 2.0 version of you get the one good DP that's exactly. over many millions of dollars that's coming in as a retirement league type of situation and everybody's just sort of relying on him. You know, I think that there's a lot of promise, but, you know, there'll be growing pains. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel I feel personally that um, we, we've met, we met pretty well this past season. I mean, we have like a, a couple guys. Of course, we have our Maxis, we have our Tatis, you know, our, our high-impact guys. But at the end of the day, we, ha- we also have a good, uh, you know, surrounding core. And I think that's in, in, important to any sport, you know, any roster that you're building. You have to have a core. You have to have you guys who've been there for a while. You have to have you guys who you can build around. I mean, I think that's uh, part of the reason why, we, we, you know, New York City was so successful this season was because we had a good core. You can, you know, take players in, take players out due to injury, suspension, whatever, you know, drop somebody in, and it's like, you know, business as usual. So, I really feel that that's a, a hallmark that, you know, of, of this squad. And I feel going forward, um, we have to build on top of that core, get guys who are going to fit in within that core, you know, and, you know, get guys who are going to fit in with, you know, the system that we want to play. I mean, and I feel like despite everything, Dome did leave us with a good philosophy, a good core and, and a good, you know, group of players that, you know, say what you will, you know, do, you know, mesh and fit well together, you know, so. I really yeah. feel that's going to be our objective for 2020 to build on. Let's uh, let's talk about Dome for a bit because the relationship between Dome Torrent and the fans was a bit of a rocky one to say the least. I think it wasn't yeah. until Hebert really came out of the woodwork that everybody was actually deciding to get on board with the situation because it was not a good start of the season for NYCFC. Yeah. It took a while for that first win and breaking from tie after tie after tie. Looking back on it, has the overall look at Dome Torrent changed within the whole group or is that still that element of you know maybe this was a fluke maybe this was something mm. along those lines um I really feel you know I personally was um on the Dome out train for a bit I mean I'm not gonna lie to you I mean especially you know when he came in last year we only had like I think we only had four wins out of our last 12 matches and you know we were just it, it, it was it was tough to watch at times basically so um, you know, he came in like a lion. We ended up tying that derby match when, you know, when uh, that, I think that was Sati Castellanos' first goal for, for City. And I, and also um, Eloy Amagat, you know, we played, we were playing, you know, two guys down and we ended up drawing. You know, that was pretty exciting to watch, but I think that the results weren't there. And a lot of that frustration was because the results weren't there. You understand, we ended up winning, I think, the last two matches of the season. Uh, going as a number two seed last season, you know, just couldn't get it done in the in postseason. And, um, I really feel from there that was a lot of that that frustration that was simmering. You know, fast forward to March of 2019, we can't win a game to save our lives. And, you know, we actually, you know, I think at one point we were up against LAFC 2-1. We let them come back, you know, get back in it, and you know, the, we only ended up taking a point, you know. And yeah. I feel that a lot of, you know, there was a lot of that frustration that was really simmering, especially amongst the supporter groups. We, you know, everyone was like, come on, who is, you know, what's going on here? A lot of the chatter was, you know, this guy's not, you know, he's not from New York. He's not, you know, he, he, you know, what are his, what are his tactics? What is he doing? And I, and I really feel that um, he changed a lot of minds. I think, you know, after the trip down to Washington, he really did change a lot of minds and whatnot. So um, as we started getting those results, and you know, more of those results were were three points instead of one, and 
I, you know, it, it got to a point where we were like, hey, maybe this guy is onto something and maybe this guy can, you know, is, is the guy who can lead us. It, it was kind of disheartening to see, you know, everything, you know, the, the, the events of the last, you know, couple weeks, you know, we, I know you started, you know, you started hearing chatter about it in an interview he did um, for some podcasts in Spain. And when it was translated, you know, just said a couple, you know, pretty inflammatory things. Personally, after that, I wasn't really surprised about the events of, of today, you know, as we as were recording today and whatnot. I'm not surprised one bit. You know, you, you don't throw a man who scored about 12 goals for you under the bus, say he's your number nine choice, you know, and expect to be coaching next season. I mean, I don't know if I'd want, personally, I don't know if I'd want to play for somebody like that, you know, but yeah. I feel like, you know, Dome did enough to, you know, change a lot of supporters' minds about, you know, what we were doing, especially after that 4-1 win, you know, against Atlanta. I mean, I think that was like the linchpin that we were saying, hey, we may do something this year, but alas, you know, we're not playing this Sunday. So <laughs> still hitting that, still hitting that uh, uh, conference semis roadblock after all these years. Yeah. So it's been four in a row or yeah. something like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we just, we got to get over it, man. I'm sorry. We need, we need <laughs> a couple of new players together to get us over that hump, man. What do you think was the actual reason for the switch from all of those results going bad to actually turning it up, you know, after DC and after Atlanta and those kinds of games? Was it because of any of the tactical changes from Dome or was it movement of people like Hebert into the club? I think it was a little bit of both because of the fact that, you know, we were playing, um, I know the beginning of the season during that little uh, that rough run, we were playing a false nine very badly. I mean, Maxi, and he's, you know, he ends up, you know, on the, on the MLS All-League, you know, starting 11. But him as a false nine, it really wasn't the answer. I think once that once that Bear came in and he was match fit, I think it was now we have a true striker and you know we have a true number nine in the middle. So um, I think that that had a lot to do with it. Tactically, I you know you'd start seeing things here and there as far as um, you know being able to switch from a back three to a back five when necessary. You know being able to set up your diamond in the middle. You know when necessary and having to collapse that into a block. So um, I really feel that there were a lot of adjustments that Dome was making. And I think the players started saying, hey, listen, you know, this guy may be on something. Let, let's get this done. I think a lot of it had to do with it as well, like as far as players actually buying into the system and, and being able to carry out what, you know, the tactics that were necessary to win. Um, and I really feel that one of his strengths was is that, you know, his adjustments when we were looking good were his adjustments mid-game and using his substitutes like no one's business. I really feel that that was a strength of his. Um, also, you know, being able to, to really fine tune and, and be able to identify opposition players who are, who are impacting the match and being able to shut them down accordingly. So yeah, I think that was that, that big strength that he had. And that was something that I was really happy with. Yeah. That, that translates almost soccer's equivalent of Belichick. If you can find that guy and exactly. cut him out, that's, that's really all you need to succeed in a lot of cases, especially in MLS where it's talent is kind of staggered from team to team when you have, you know, the Zlatan Ibrahimovic and then everybody else. You know, a lot of those clubs right. are set up that way still in the 2.0 format, quote unquote. Right. But yeah, no, what you were talking about getting an actual core together. I mean, case in point being the two clubs we have in MLS Cup once again this season, Seattle and Toronto. Exactly. You have people that have been together for a really long time. There's not really, you know, you could argue Ladero and, and Jordan Morris and for Seattle and got the uh, kind of the old guard for the U.S. men's national team for Toronto and, and Altidore and, and Michael Bradley and those kinds of groups. But really outside of that, just from a talent perspective, there isn't really one player 
player that stood out on on either club. I feel like it's it's been a lot more mm-hmm. of a team atmosphere. Do you kind of agree with that? Well, at least for me, man. I, when you're looking at uh, Toronto SC real quick, um, you see how they dominated in 2017, having Sebastian Javinko. I think he scored like 34 goals that season. I mean, this guy was on fire, man. Yeah. So, I know it was a pretty cold. You know, I could I could be you know I could be wrong, of course. But yeah. um, at the end of the day, Sebastian Javinko decides to lead the team. You know, Bosuelo comes in, you know, and, and starts doing his thing. I mean, you know, he, he, I think he, you know, he was a pretty hard player to shut down. Hey, you can interchange talent and, you know, you still had quality products on the field just because of the fact you had a core, you know, like you were mentioning before, you have Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, and, you know, up your, up your middle. So, I mean, you know, it, it's something where these guys are experienced. They, they, you know, the chemistry is off the hook on that team. I mean, that's one thing that I did see. And I did notice that, you know, when we played Toronto in, um, in our playoff game match was that, you know, these guys knew exactly where they were supposed to go. They knew the spots, the runs they had to make. You can only get if you guys have been playing together for a while. You know, being able to predict and, and know where the run is going to be at and, and, you know, be disciplined enough to play that system that you know you guys can play. And that's how Toronto beat us. That's how they beat us because of the fact that they knew where they were going to be at. They knew where they were going to strike. They knew where the goals were coming from. You know, Michael Bradley, all he did was conduct a midfield, and he, you know, he did a pretty good job of that, you know, as much as I don't want to admit it, but he did a pretty good job of that, and he can only have done that because of the fact that he's been with this club as long as he has been, you know, so, um, and I think it's the same thing with Seattle as well, I mean, I know a lot of the guys on Seattle, they've been together for a while, I mean, they made the run a couple, you know, these last couple MLS Cups, I mean, they've been that, you know, together for that long, so, they know what it takes to win. They know what it takes in those high-stakes matches to, you know, to get the result. And I think that, you know, when we bring it back to New York City, maybe that's something we don't have just because of the fact that we can't get over that roadblock, you know, that is the conference semifinal. <laughs> yeah. so, um, and, and, but I think that, you know, as, as, as this team is, is together and as, as this team doesn't change, as, as a lot of teams may change in the offseason, I, we're going to get to that same level as well. And I think it really has to come down to, you know, chemistry and really being able to play as one team, you know? So in terms of the next manager coming in, who are you expecting or what's the archetype that you really want to see coming? Um, I want to see somebody who, who can who can maintain the same, you know, the same um, philosophy, basically. I mean, I feel like we're, we're playing, you know, we played a pretty good system at times last season. I feel like we were at our strongest, you know, obviously we're at our strongest in our possession game. Um, when we're able to, you know, use a possession plus press um, system, because I really feel that's when we're our most dangerous, when we're our, we, when we're at our most fluid. So I, I think that the uh, the, the the next uh, manager that that NYC does bring in, he would have to have those type of um, tactics, something where it's fluid. You know, I think that's something that is a great great uh, marker for this team is because we're fluid. We can switch up our tactics, and that was something that Dome, you know, it kind of started with Patrick Vieira that. Domi just, you know, taught us how to do it a bit better. Um, just being fluid, just being able to go from, from a pressing system to a, to a, um, a you know, possession-based system, being able to adjust and, and fall back when we need to. Um, you know, everyone's talking about Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, you know what I mean? Is he going to come in? And, and, you know, who knows, man? At this point, who knows? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the, the type of manager that I want to see here is one who's going to win, one who's going to, you know, who's going to, you know, tactically be sound. Um, we'll have NYC playing a really good system and just someone who's going to come in and win. That's about it. Can, you yeah. can't take away from your, your boy Bedoya, man. That guy scored a cracker, man. Who was against um, oh, I God. It, a Which few weeks ago? Yeah, that, that Bolasso, he scored a couple a few weeks ago, man. Yes, that was man, a that beauty. Was a good one, man. That was an yeah. absolute beauty. 
I mean, it feels good being in Hartford right now because uh, I feel like there was such an element before Hartford Athletic came in where you look at New York City FC as a club and you really look at the supporters that were being put together and, and you kind of envy that a little bit. You know, right. you're the Revs, you know, I'm from a part of the state that has a lot of past fans, but at the end of the day, I don't even right. think, I genuinely don't even think that Bob Kraft even remembers that he has a football club. <laughs> you know, my brother says the same thing. My brother's a Red oh, fan. Yeah. He's from Waltham. Yeah, he'll tell you the same thing. Like, you know, it, they didn't get better. He, he wouldn't probably not have come out this season, you know? Yeah, I mean, good on them for picking up Bruce Arena and, and trying to lift them up, at least get them to the first round of the playoffs. But, right. you know, something about that, it's still in 1.0, let's be honest. <laughs> it's still <laughs> right. That it's still at that element where they're still in the football stadium. They're still, you know, trying to find their way, it looks like. So right. seeing New York City FC come in, you know, that was really what got me into Major League Soccer in a passionate form was, mm-hmm. you know, this the season that I first started getting into it was the year that it was Real Salt Lake and Sporting Kansas City in the final. I think that was, what, 2013? Right. And yeah. when they made that announcement, you know, the joint ownership between the Yankees, you know, New York sports guys. So really excited about that bit. Then coming in with Manchester City and having that extra monetary help, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this actually could be something. From the perspective of being in the five boroughs, I mean, what was that process like for you getting that team together getting the supporters together with third rail and all those other groups that have been put together what was that like growing the club from the ground up essentially well you know i i always tell the story that um i waited 17 years um to support a team in mls i mean you know it, it's something that i will always preface um just because of the fact that i remember in 96 you know the metro stars were you know were, were new york team you know so to speak even though they played out in jersey i mean i i said this stuff at nausea new jersey can never be new york man but at the end of the day i just couldn't support that team there was nothing there for me you feel me i mean i had to go out i had to go down 34th street you know go to port authority take the bus over to giant stadium that's a 20 minute ride i mean you know that's already out of my way i, I you know i remember the big announcement you know big announcement in 95 um empire soccer you know supporters club we're really doing a big recruiting push amongst the soccer family in, in, in new york city in the five boroughs but it just i didn't feel any connection you understand like matter of fact yeah. i would go i'd go to giant stadium and watch teams like that when, when the la galaxy was here because the LA Galaxy had um, uh, a great Ecuadorian player. His name was Eduardo Hurtado, and he just came in, and he actually he ended up playing for the Metro Stars. And, you know, and even when he was playing with the Metro Stars, I just couldn't find myself supporting that team. They're not, you know, I, it wasn't any, like, sort of geographic, you know, geographic identity that I had with them. Fast forward to 2013, and um, I'm a Manchester United fan, full disclosure. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, glory, glory, man, United all, all day, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I come and I'm a huge Yankee fan, too. That's the crazy part, man. I mean, I'm a huge Yankee fan, been a Yankee fan since the age of like four. I'm from the Bronx. So, I mean, what else do you expect? Um, and I really didn't have that connection when the team got announced. I, I found myself at that quandary. I'm like, man, come on. But they're a Man City club. They're the noisy <laughs> name. Oh, all that kind of stuff. Right. But, my, you know, my, my wife, who was um, just my girlfriend at the time, you know, she was like, well, you know, they're owned by the Yankees. Dang, they're going to play in the Bronx. Oh, man. So, you yep. know, I told myself, hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw my, you know, my support behind this club, you know. And, um, I, you know, I wasn't there for the beginning. At the, you know, when the team um, debuted, and, you know, I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have you know, a job. <laughs> I didn't have season tickets. I mean, I'd go, you know, as I, as I could. But. Um, I remember my first match being um, the second home match against um, the Philadelphia Union. 
um, where we scored one, uh, we tied one, one, um, I think it was an equalizer by maybe Bellucci. And I just really started experiencing that culture from that point forward. I wasn't a dues paying member of the third rail to maybe two, three years ago. Um, I know there was a, a big a bit of a schism, you know, as far as, um, you know, a couple of supporter groups that wanted to branch off, you know, and, and do their own thing. And I have, you know, personally, you know, that's none of my business. I wasn't a member of the third rail by then, but, you know, I started seeing when I did join the third rail, um, how, di- how diverse it was, how, um, yeah. how welcome it was, you know, and, you know, and no, you know, no disrespect to all the other supporter clubs, you know, cause I have, you know, I have a lot of friends in the other supporter groups, you know, much respect to them, but I just felt welcome there. You understand what I mean? And, you know, yeah. once I, I really started, um, meeting with leadership and, and really, you know, being able to even um, get an opportunity to design, you know, you know, to use my graphic design skills for the betterment of the third rail, it got a lot better. Um, I really feel like um, what the third rail and all the other supporting groups um, for New York City, what we're, we're really trying to do is just really mobilize the community a bit more, you know, get involved, especially in, in, in you know, community board four. I know you heard about um, a meeting that happened there last week. If you want to elaborate on that, we can definitely touch on that too. Yeah, let's, um, let's but, go into know, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, just being, you know, getting more involved in the community. I think that's something that all the supporter groups are about, you know, going to 2020. Um, and, you know, just really, really being able to come together on, you know, 17 week, you know, 17, whole, you know, max days and supporting our, our club. That's what's the most important thing to us. I think now that... Um, you know, the supporter groups are a bit more organized, and I, I feel like we're, we're actually all coming together as one as we want to be, you know, and, and just, you know, the only thing we're going to focus on is supporting New York City Football Club. And, and I can tell that just from the few matches that I've been to. Sitting in that supporter section, you can tell that this is unquestionably New York in, in all of its all of its facets, all of its boroughs, everybody coming together. You know, that's New York in its finest form those people that are singing in, in unison like that unbelievably good exactly and you know we got we got white folks we got black folks hispanic folks you know we got everybody <laughs> everybody in our support section i feel like you know when we raise our voices as one we're we're forced you know so no one's really oh, messing yeah. with <laughs> absolutely no it's it's a beautiful thing really and uh it's hit or miss with a lot of clubs in major league soccer you know you take a look at atlanta and some of the stuff that they've done for the culture down in atlanta and um, some mm-hmm. of the things that have gone down in, in the pacific northwest you know really the the biggest thing that you would have to do with any sort of club in any sort of city is really infuse yourself into the actual culture of that city yeah and you take a look at some of especially the 1.0 clubs the ones that are part of the old guard it's missing in a lot of forms just based off of the conversations you've had with some of those supporters group members what is it you feel like is missing in some of those old guard clubs and some of the other clubs that maybe aren't as successful in terms of getting people to their game as opposed to something like New York City FC where you've got that good supporters group or or Atlanta or any of those other clubs that have that core that you know will be there week in and week out? Um, Well, as I've seen a lot of the 1.0 clubs, like, you know, you got your New England, you know, you got your your FC Dallas in there, you know. This is the whole thing. I I, I really watch a lot of MLS matches, and and the first thing I listen for is the supporter section. How how loud are they? You know, where are they at? You know what I mean? Are, are Are they going to be louder? And I always gauge this, you know, I always gauge it towards, you know, New York City supporter section, we are loud. I really feel that um, it's important, man. I mean, it's important to, to, to your team to be as loud as possible. Chant songs, you know, do, do choreography, all that stuff, man. That's really important. And I, and I know that more often than not, you know, the players that I've spoken to, they appreciate that because they know they're being supported. 
Um, at the end of the day, I really feel that when MLS came in, came onto the scene, man, it wasn't really an embrace of, of, of worldwide soccer culture. It, I think it was more like, we want to make this as American as possible. Okay. And, and I really feel that, that, you know, as, as is, you know, the history of the, of, of United States sports culture, you know, we tend to innovate when it comes to the sports played, um, different rules that we may apply to sports that are played in other countries, you know, and, and hence, you know, MLS's gamut and TAM rules. But, <laughs> you know, I, I really feel like we, we want, here in the United States, we want something that's, you know, uniquely American. I mean, the greatest example of that is baseball. You know, it's a sport that, that we started off as rounders and cricket, was played as town ball, became baseball, and it's something that's truly uniquely American. You understand? So, you know, yeah. the way it's played and, you know, the, all that kind of stuff, right? It, it, how it intermeshes with um, U.S. history even. Okay, so I feel like that culture, that supporter culture, wasn't really embraced. Okay, when, you know, once MLS came here, I'm South American, I'm Ecuadorian, so um, I, I come from a, a culture where our teams are celebrated. Especially, I'm I'm a fan of Barcelona Sporting Club, the biggest team in, in Ecuador, uh, and you know, I've been to I've been to the stadium, you know, at Monumental, and it, it's just a place where. This team is supported not just by the by the you know the residents of the southern end, but by the entire state. Okay, and yeah. I really feel that you know in the beginning MLS really didn't have a clue what, what that was about. They really didn't. I mean, they 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 were just so clueless with it. But and I feel like that that's part of the reason why I stayed away from MLS as long as I did, just because of that. But at the end of the day, um, you, as as years started going by and and we started seeing how. You know, MLS evolved from 1.0 to 2.0. Now we got an MLS 3.0, right? Um, I think that there has been a lot more of an embrace of different types of soccer culture, whether it be South American, European, whatever. You understand? It's a worldwide culture. You understand? Um, and I feel that, you know, MLS has done enough to say, well, supporters are the backbone of our of our, of our our league, you know? And, and really, this is a supporter-driven league, which it obviously is. I mean, this is going to be true worldwide. Soccer is such a supporter-driven sport. It's not even funny. If it's not with, you know, without us, you have nothing. Yeah. You understand? It's part of, cases, of the show yeah. as well. You know, so I really feel that um, now, um, you know, like you have the organizations like the International, you know, the, the Independent Supporters Council. Yep. Um, you I have um, organizations like that who are really driving the culture. And I really feel that um, we're starting to show the world that, hey, you know something? We may have been a bit behind as far as the supporter culture goes, but we're coming right here. We're coming right for you guys. At the end of the day, um, there has been more of that embrace. And I'm all for it, man, because you know something? Why not us? Let's show that Americans are indeed, you know, good soccer fans. And you know, let's just support for 90 minutes. That's it. Yeah. And I think it's it's testament to the amount of embrace that Major League Soccer has given to those supporters groups because now you have a situation where you're hitting that first big clash between supporters and the actual front office of the league itself. You have all the stuff that's gone on with political iconography and all that other stuff. Mm. That's sort of a testament to how much it's been embraced. But this, I think, over the next few months and years, as those negotiations are coming in, because I know that ISC is working directly with MLS to see how they want to actually build stuff together with Mm -hmm. how much they want to talk about politics in the stands, how much they want to go into all that kind of stuff. That's going to be tough. It's going to be really difficult because it's going to pin the league against some of its sponsors, potentially. It's going to pin the supporters with the league. I think if there's actually some sort of agreement out of that, that's it. 
You know, it's yeah. we're not going to have an NASL level drop off. I think everything's going to be all right. But I think that's one of the beautiful things about this league is that we're we're hitting that point now where it's it's starting to yeah. actually we're getting the full spectrum of the soccer fans now instead of right. just those casuals that kind of sat around and did nothing and then a bunch of people that you're seeing chant and think to yourself the hell's going on here you know now we actually have something <laughs> exactly. together and you know especially with that culture coming in i mean that tim's army idea was top notch yeah that, that, that was did. crazy that was a fun one to work on man you know that that was extremely fun to work on you could kind of see my tim in the background well they're not going to be able to listen to it but i got one of my tim oh, in there the we background. go <laughs> okay yeah the one that i painted yeah you see that Beautiful. colorful thing back there that's my tim but that's what I think, you know, um, it really is, is like, because the reason why that worked so well was because of the fact that we kind of were taking that gig, you know, at the Timbers Army, right? But, you know, we're making it something uniquely New York that, you know, with the Tim's Army thing. I mean, to be quite honest with you, um, uh, you know, the, the gentleman who I, you know, who I designed people with, I was like, we have to incorporate that somehow. Tim's are like, you know, okay, for, for the listeners who don't know, you know, don't know about Timberland Boots, okay? Timberlands, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys are familiar with it, but in New York, you know, this is kind of like it, it's reached icon status where, you know, uh, you got a pair of wheat tins, you got to keep them fresh, you know, and, and all this stuff, like a regular, uh, uh, I think, I believe it's a six inch model, you know, that, that's how high the cuff is, you know, with the leather, with the leather cuff and whatnot. Um, so that's basically a New York staple. And, um, we, you know, it was something where, you know, even during the summertime in the 1990s, I used to wear a pair of Tims, you know, just to walk out of here, you know, in the 95 degree weather. You know, don't, don't ask me why, but I, I just thought it was cool. But um, yeah, exactly. Right. So at the end of the day, you know, we wanted to incorporate New York culture with something. And not only that, but just take a dig at, uh, at the Tim, you know, Timber's Army. So, you know, um, and, and I feel like, you know, that's what we have to do here in New York City as well. Just make our, you know, our soccer culture you know, relevant to the five boroughs. And I think that, you know, we're, we're getting there as well, you know? Absolutely, but surely. I mean, just thinking of living in Connecticut my whole life, Tim's are and, right and now, you figure, you figure they their connotation is frat. It's very frat Yeah, it's, it's completely different. The amount of difference between Connecticut and New York, I don't think people really understand that. It's yeah. right next to each other, but in so many ways, it's so different from each other because you got that influence of all the people from Boston coming in. It, it's just sort of this melting pot of of new york and new england that a lot of people yeah. don't really get it's, it's just this unique thing but even like even when you hit like you know towns like greenwich you know bridgeport danbury yeah. you know that, that are pretty close to the border between connecticut and new york it, it's different you know yeah. it, it truly is and, and you know something you really have to have that, that keen eye to really go in and see what those those fine differences are you know as many you know as many times as I, I go to connecticut i'll go to like um i'll go to trumbull visit you know a couple guys from third rail connecticut even then, it's like, well, you know, this place is kind of different, man. I mean, but, yeah. I, you know, I, I, it just makes me want to run back to the boroughs and just say, I'm back home and all the more, all the more, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, the difference between that even and Enfield, which I feel like Enfield has got that certain structure that's a bit more suburban than, I think, Greenwich and all those places down on the coast right near New York is. It's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, people think Connecticut, they automatically think everything with Greenwich and all those rich white guys basically <laughs> that live up there, you know, it's, it's all the all the rich guys from Wall Street. They they all populate that area. No wonder the property taxes are so high up there. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely, man. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, no, but no, it's, it's a great place. But you know, some even those cultural differences. You know, those are the things that you'd have to be from that area to know. So, um, I, and and that's what and that's what I really feel. You know, um, I feel like. Right now, supporter coach is getting really localized, man. You understand what I mean? Because even like I, I've seen, you know, you guys, you know, with Hartford Athletic, 
you guys are you guys are out there, man. You guys are supporting, man. I mean, you know, you, you first year for you guys, and I'm just like, wow, these guys are these guys are hardcore, man. So we're getting things together. I like where we're at at the moment. You know, with the first year, with the lack of success that we had in terms of results, I couldn't be prouder of the guys that have put that all together. And I'm hoping to get an episode where everybody just comes through and has a town hall style episode, just because that environment of being able to start building the club support from the ground up like that is is one of those things that something you would never expect to do especially when a lot of those sports that are staples in the country you know they've been around for 100 years around right. there you know so you, that's an experience you don't expect to have but now that you've i've gone through it for a year so far i mean it's it's something that i'll never forget i mean we really built a family in this group that will tailgate before every game and, you know, goes to those away days, you know, like Ottawa, which right. rest in peace to them, man. <laughs> I was so hopeful at the end of the episode because Vitam Boys was my last episode with some of those guys. And, you know, it was a hopeful, hopeful thing because they were talking about lower attendances and, you know, some of the stuff that was going on with how they were being moved from USL to CPL and then back again, this this whole story about whether or not they were going to move and the sanctionings that were involved with that. And it was hopeful because... They got into the playoffs that completely destroyed us the game that we saw, you know, against right. Hartford. I think it was like 4-1 or something like that. And um, then all of a sudden, yesterday, I basically get a message from uh, one of those guys from Alec, the, the British barber that I was talking to in that episode, and basically says, hey, we're shutting down tomorrow, basically. We just got the right. call. It's It was disappointing. You know, hopefully right. we'll have that back on once we get the full details of what happened there. But, you know, it's it's definitely been something that I would not expect to be a part of, but I'm so glad that I was, man. <laughs> Especially... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's right here. <laughs> exactly, and and I really feel that that you know, um, it's it's becoming a lot more. Well, I, I wouldn't want to say it's it's becoming a lot more you know uh, uh, UKish, man, because of the fact that now you're seeing a lot of um, a lot of the local clubs are being well supported. I mean, you know, I got a buddy of mine, um, a buddy of mine who lives in um, upstate New York. He lives in Rhinebeck. Um, he's a supporter. He supports uh, the uh, Kingston Stockade. Um, oh yeah. Remember yeah. as a member of the Dutch guard, you know what I mean? So, you know, these guys, you know, they're small in number, but Hey man, those guys, those guys a lot. I, I've actually sent me video and I'm like, yo, you guys are loud, man. That's amazing. And I really feel that, um, as much as you have that, man, that that's just going to keep support of culture alive, man. I really feel that, um, once people get behind the club and really start, you know, going, you know, and having that commitment towards that club, man, it's a beautiful thing, man. We see it at all tiers of English football, You'll see it all around the world where, you know, the local club will get support and, and you know, you're, you're able to support a club from the first division as well. I think we kind of need that here, to be quite honest with you, man, because, you know, we need to see, you know, more more opportunities for guys to go pro. We need to see more opportunities for fans just to go to a local stadium and, and support a club out there. You know, I mean, really, I really feel that that's how American support culture is really going to grow, at the, you know, at this stage. You know, you know, USL, the whole restructuring of the U.S. soccer pyramid kind of helped out because, now you're you're able to have more clubs at the, you know from going from the amateur to the pro level. Um, even even the small you know non-affiliated clubs are getting supported. I mean it's you know to me right now I think it's a perfect time to dive full head in full head in you know to American supporter culture, man. I mean I really feel we're starting to carve out an identity. We're starting to carve out our own image. And you know something, man. I always say, go out and support your local club, no matter who they may be. Absolutely, you know what I mean? I'm down with that. Absolutely. And you know, even just looking at the situation with how Hartford Athletic was grown too, because you know, you had those people that were. Um, we had an NPSL club. We still do. It, it still exists. But Hartford City FC, that was still in existence and everything. Nothing happened to it. But it was a group of you know 
20 core guys that were putting that whole thing together, you know, diehard AO supporters as well. And they were staunchly against the club just because it was something different from Hartford City. It was something that was from investors that didn't really align with them politically. And it was this whole situation that, you know, just looking at that perspective, as much as I'd love to see those guys come in and we could all be one, you know, United City in that regard. At the same time, that just goes to show you what kind of thing has been built where you have that diversity in your supporters groups where you can have Mm -hmm. a small city like Hartford. You can have two clubs in it that have, a supporters group, a good base of people, and not be a big deal. Everything can still be put together in a great way. And how fun is it when Derby Day comes up, man? I mean, that, that's like that. That's to me one of the best game days of Derby Day. I was disappointed that Hartford City didn't go for uh, U.S. Open Cup, man. I was disappointed. By right. That. It was nice to go against Cosmos, but at yeah. the same time, would have been that a nice thing great. to see. <laughs> That would have been, been great, man. Even, you know, local listen, man. I, I, I'm a true believer in that, man. I, I happen to, um, you know, follow the fourth, um, the fourth biggest derby in South America, Barcelona versus Emelec. You know, my Ecuadorian listeners will know what I'm talking about. And you know, something, it's, it's, you know, it, when you have, um, when you have that in your city, man, it's always a beautiful thing because. Um, I would always remember when I was uh, like at the times that I had been in Ecuador when, you know, I, and I've got to see what we call El Clásico del Astillero. It's basically the shipyard derby. Um, we, you know, that was like the biggest day that month. Like that was like, I always used to try to, you know, center my trips around El Clasico. You know what I mean? So um, when you, when you experience that and you really see like these two heavily animated fan bases with nothing but animosity towards each other for 90 minutes. Uh, meanwhile, you're probably going to go hang out with them. Cause you know, there's a couple of maybe your cousins or your family members yeah. or your neighbors <laughs> and whatnot. So, you know, it's it's always good, and 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 I love seeing that just because of the fact that, you know, as as you know, united as we can be, we can also have things that divide us. But this is one of the good things that divides us because after after that's done, hey, let's go grab a beer, let's go grab some dinner, you know, let's go do something, let's go hang out, you know, business as oh, usual. Yeah. Only for ninety minutes, we don't like each other because of the jerseys that we're wearing, you know. So yeah, it, every it, once in a while, everybody thing. will everybody will come back together for AO and start complaining about how bad Greg Berhalter is. You know, we're all <laughs> oh united God, against the same around, enemy. <laughs> we're all around. Don't get me started, man. Don't get, get me started with the Berhalter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You blow it all up, man. You know, I mean, I, I'm bad enough following Ecuador, you know, you know, going through all their prep for for World Cup qualifying. I mean, you know, throw the U.S. in there. I'm just like, man, <laughs> something's going to happen. It's going to be a tough qualifier, man. What was the last time for Ecuador? What was it 06? Last time they made it? Uh, no, 2014. Oh, they did make it 2014. Okay. Yeah, 2014, to we lost our first game against Switzerland. We beat uh, Honduras, um, lost to Paul Pogba and, and, and France, you know, the last match when we only needed a point. Didn't make the second round, but yeah, you know, that was our gotcha. last time in there. I think that that was the last time we really had a good, you know, actually, no. Um, I'll say that 2006 was the last good team that we had. I mean, you had Antonio Valencia. You had a couple really good, uh, a lot of that old guard left from um, from 2002. Um, you had a lot of experience, but you also had a young Antonio Valencia. You had Agustin Delgado, who was like, he, he was at his apex during that World Cup. Um, and a lot of good up-and-coming players, and I think that that squad was really together. You know, you fast-forward to 2014, I mean, you got Enne Valencia, you got, you know, Antonio Valencia still on the team. You know, you got a couple other good players um, that, that were on that team. And, you know, we had lost um, Chucho Benitez, who was one of our top scorers. He had a heart attack in some league, and like, I think it was in uh, Qatar or something like that. He had a heart oh, wow. attack and died. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty tragic, man. So at the end of the day, I think that that was um, those two teams were, you know, were two really good teams. But I think 2006 was the best one. I mean, <laughs> it took it took the best right foot in the world and David Beckham to beat us that tournament. So 
There we Definitely. go. Yeah, I can remember yeah. 2006, the World Cup, because we're, uh, we're cord cutters when it comes to TV. So I can remember yeah. one of the first soccer games in general that I ever saw was on Telemundo, Poland versus <laughs> Ecuador in the group stage. Yeah. Yeah, Not that knowing what the hell game, was going on, but still right, watching. Right. The guys were weird laughing. Intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't take until the next World Cup until I actually got into it, but I could just remember watching that like, huh, this, well, yeah. this exists. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I just thought of you on the road because, that, that you know, and, and I remember that Poland versus Ecuador game. I think I, I was seeing a guy score two that game. Um, I think that, I remember them winning, yeah. But Yeah, they, well, they did win Tuesday, but I remember that we went, we beat Costa Rica 4-1. We beat Poland two zip and lost to Germany um, four zip in the last match of the, state, the, the group stage. So um, then we lost to we lost to England in the round of sixteen. So you know it was it was crazy. I, I think that was like maybe one of four times where I cried after a soccer game. So definitely <laughs> haven't quite had a moment like that yet with Hartford Athletic, but that last match was close. I mean- Coming, listen, it, that's guaranteed. It's coming, though, Pete. You better get yourself it, it, ready for I can that. tell it is coming because that last match that we had, it was 1-1 for pretty much the whole last 30 minutes or so. We're just waiting for that goal to come in. And all of a sudden, 92nd minute, after all of the times we've gotten screwed over by refs, all the times that we've gotten beat 4-0, having a comeback like that was, it just gets set up for Wojciech to go right in and get the perfect header. I mean, that elation in that supporters group was everything that you dream about. That that level of energy, that level of adrenaline, like that's that's everything that you could possibly want in an experience like that. So it'll come. <laughs> it's definitely coming. And I'll tell you something right now. If you support a team for long enough, it's going to come because you know something. Oh, yeah. The thing is. You're going to invest yourself emotionally into that club, you know, and I, I feel like with New York City, I personally, you know, have invested a lot more than just emotions. I've invested in actual money as a season ticket holder, um, invested energy, time, you know, things like that. And I feel that, you know, as, as disappointing as it was, you know, a couple of weeks ago um, at the time of this recording, I mean, really, it was, you know, it was a lesson. It was just like, hey, listen, no matter what, man, this is going to make you love your team even more because of the fact that, you know, if you can't, if you can't stick it out through the rough times with your club, I mean, you can't expect to be there for the successes either, man. I mean, honestly, that's how it really is. You know, this is a commitment. You don't know, understand. And I, and, and I tell people, like, I'm a married man. I know what commitment is about, you know. And, and to be committed to a club is the same thing, too. You know, it, it, you're there for this through thick and thin. And yeah. as in Spanish, we say, and las buenas y las malas. So, you know, thick and thin always. Yeah, there we go. Now, uh, let's talk about some of the challenges that are going on with New York City FC. Right. Let's go into that because great supporters culture, great results, you know, being in the conference semis for the last right. four years, even though it's it's still getting over that hump. But obviously plenty to talk about for what needs to change from a front office perspective. Number one being right. baseball stadiums. Having to go from <laughs> Yankee Stadium yeah. Yankees get in the playoffs, you get kicked down to City Field or up to Rensselaer, which is actually where we first started playing our home games because Dylan wasn't finished. And, uh, you know, that was probably the one time I respected Red Bulls was that lineup when they started playing Brass Bonanza. That was pretty, pretty impressive <laughs> coming from a Connecticut guy. Um, right. but let's talk about that whole situation, because obviously it's been a whole sticky scenario. Um, a lot of bureaucracy behind it, obviously. Just being in New York, I mean, with how long it took to even make the new Yankee Stadium, it's going to have that some sort of level to it. But what are you seeing right now in terms of potential opportunities for that new stadium? Has anything really come up? I know there was talk about maybe something within the Belmont infield or something along there. 
there was some infighting between the different boroughs of where exactly to put it. Right. You know, what kind of stuff are you seeing as somebody who's in the thick of the supporters culture? Well, if you if you stick around NYCFC Twitter long enough, you'll find out a couple of things already been happening. I mean, um, about a week and a half, almost like, yeah, about over, I'd say two weeks ago at the time of this recording, um, there was a meeting um, down on Jerome, on 1501 Jerome Avenue, which is um, the headquarters for Community Board 4. And so I believe, yeah, two weeks ago yesterday, there was a meeting out there um, basically, Community Board 4 had involved um, an urban planning um, firm to come in and, you know, basically spend some time in the Highbridge, you know, Highbridge area, the Highbridge Yankee Village area. Um, basically, they were, you know, they, they were measuring how the feasibility of having a stadium there, assuming that, you know, the, the, the stadium is going to be built on the GAL site. For, for our listeners who don't know, GAL Factory is the original site where, um, the club had intended to build its stadium um, through whatever mechanisms they were going to use. It's going to be in an area adjacent to Heritage Field, where the old Yankee Stadium was, also with um, a couple parking garages are at. And, you know, it was just basically a feasibility study and, and how, you know, how to make that area a bit more accessible to the community. You know, um, a lot of things were discussed that night about, um, you know, how other um, clubs, uh, you know, are, are, taking, are making their stadiums a real community space, you know, and, and how, you know, how well the waterfront, because if you go, you know, if you look at the geography of that neighborhood, um, you walk about three blocks um, to your, you know, to your uh, left, you got the Harlem, the Harlem River waterfront right there. It's not an accessible area to a lot of people who live in the area and how best to, you know, anchor that site. It was, you know, I, listen, I don't take a lot out of these meetings. It was pretty cool to see a community board meeting, especially in my home borough. But, you know, it's more along the lines of nothing has been announced as of yet, you know. Um, and I know a lot of the discussion has been, you know, uh, we no stadium this, no stadium that. We, you know, as a consequence, we had to go to City Field. And I, I hope, you know, that this is the first step into having our own home. I'm, I'm usually very, very bullish about these type of things. I'm more of a, you know, I'll be optimistic, but I'll believe it when I see a type of, type of person. But... At the end of the day, you know, you can't help but to feel just, you know, slightly optimistic as far as that goes. You know, I mean, I really feel that the neighborhood, you know, uh, a lot of the members of, the, you know, the, the stakeholders in Community Board 4 were very welcoming of, um, of, of a stadium being there. That, you know, they want something that's going to be better the community, that's acceptable to the community. And I know that about, um, I think it was about 25, um, 25 members of all the supporters groups. I know... Um, uh, we had a couple members from Third Rail out there. Myself, I was representing the Third Rail Bronx as vice president. Um, we had a couple guys from Templados SC. We had a couple guys from New York City SC. Um, we and this is like an issue that we're really rallying around is you know this stadium and and the feasibility of this stadium. Also, I mean, you know, I feel that you know if we're gonna do this, let's do it the right way, man. I mean, I feel I, I know that that you know us New Yorkers, we want things right now, you know. But we don't accept the reality that it is hard to build anything in New York, in the five boroughs in New York City without yeah. any sort of red tape. I mean, that's yeah. just the reality of it. You know, as much as I want a stadium site on 153rd and River Avenue, there's a lot of red tape that we are obviously going to have to run through. That's just true of anything. You know, understand that's just the New York State real estate and, you know, real estate engine. To be quite honest with you, it's, I, want, I want nothing more than to have a stadium here in the Bronx. Know, because that's going to be, I feel like this is going to be a place where this is New York City's, you know, native soil is the Bronx. We play in a baseball stadium, but that baseball stadium happens to be in the Bronx. Okay, um, the community, you know, it, you know, community board four, they they really stress the fact that you know we, we're going to have another, 
type of athletic building here that it should be part of the community. And that's something that I think is really important as well. That, yeah. You know, especially when you have some of the concerns too about gentrifying the area and things like that. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of those concerns that come up in situations like that. I mean, you take a look at the development that's gone through around Barclay Center in Brooklyn. I'm sure yeah. that yeah. had a lot of elements to it when that went down. It's definitely, it's good. That there's, you know, conversations about it, but yeah, after five years, I, I totally get yeah, it. Yeah, it, 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 it does get a bit tired, though, to be quite honest with you. I mean, because, listen, I don't mind going to Yankee Stadium. I mean, obviously, like I said before, I'm a Yankee fan, so I like going there. You know, and I, you know, I get to watch baseball and soccer there. But at the end of the day, man, I just want, you know, we're, we, and I hate saying stuff like this, but we're the laughing, laughing stock of the league. At the end of the day, we're the laughing stock, and we, ha- we don't have a home. Um, we, ha- we got this place, you know, we got this place for our playoff game. It, it was just, you know, it, it's it's an inconvenience. But you know something? I always put it like this, man. New York is just inconvenient. <laughs> Let's just face facts, man. I mean, I was born here. I think I'm a bit of an authority on this, man. Everything in New York is inconvenient, man. You got crowds. You got too many cars on the road. Public transportation that isn't reliable. You know, just people with, you know, bad attitudes all day and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, this is just a reflection of where we live. You understand? So, I, I, I do appreciate the fact that, you know, the club does want to get this done right. And they want to get this done. You know, if they're going to build a home, they're going to get it done right and be part, you know, of that community. My my whole thing is, is that I feel when um, John Patrickoff was um, president of the team that, um, you know, he he did a really good job with all the, you know, all the city, all the pitches, all the mini pitches that were going around all over the city. It, it was something where it really anchors, you know, he, they put an anchor or, you know, put that badge in the middle of the community. Do you understand? And now, yeah. now kids have a place to go play instead of like um, really, um, of, of, you know, turning to other things that, you know, like I, I hate I hate sounding like an old fart, but this is what it really is. I'm 42 years old, man. I, I grew up playing the, uh, soccer here in the 1990s. We didn't have the best fields. We didn't have the best equipment. I ended up playing in, public, in a public school league, ended up playing for, for a cutie school here in the, in the boroughs. We didn't have a lot of development here. Now these kids, you know, they're, they're, they're really – they really have spaces where they can go and, and really, you know, play the sport and fall in love with the sport. And, yeah. um, and and I always think to myself, man, we have diamonds in the rough in the boroughs. I mean, you see Tavon Gray, you see, you know, um, you, you know, Justin Hawk, you know, the guys from the boroughs, you know, who are, you know, um, and, I, and I really believe that Tavon Gray is going to be our next big guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and, and, and just, you know, just having those t- that type of talent come from the five boroughs, it, to me, it really excites me. I'm sick of like I'm sick of our talent, Kamar Lawrence, that Hernandez kid from the Red Bulls. I'm sick of them going to the other side of the river. Let's keep them in the boroughs, and that's Might I think well. the best. Might yeah. as well keep them here, keep them passionate about where they're from. You know, that's that's the beauty about what we can do. You know, that's it's wonderful. So going into your role within the supporters groups, vice president of Third Rail Bronx, like you said, you do a lot of the graphic arts. You're doing a lot of the projects in terms of. TFOs and all that other kind of stuff. What's it like being in that element of it, being able to design all those TFOs like Tim's Army and, uh, you know, being able to put together some of the fashion that's behind it and all, all the kind of stuff that goes into the type of marketing that's independently for the supporters groups, not necessarily for the club itself, but, you know, strictly Third Rail and all the other supporters groups being under your wing. I mean, what's that like? Well, I, to, be, to be quite honest with you, it's pretty awesome because of the fact that um, we're trying to forge an identity. Basically, um, you see, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of the stuff that I've done for um, as far as like apparel and things like that go, it's, it's, it's very much, you know, how to apply that New York, that New York style to what we're doing. 
um, I really feel it's important to, to, to have that identity, to have something that's recognizable. I mean, that's one of the, that any graphic designer will tell you that, um, you know, you want a look, you want a certain identity, you want a certain style. And I really feel like, you know, shout out to um, uh, Ray Kingsbury and, you know, shout out to Andy Drellick, um, you know, some of the guys that are also Benjamin Maltz. Um, these are the guys that, you know, I, I really have a hands-on experience in working with the Paraline. We want, we want everything to have an identity. You understand? We want this to say, we want people to say, oh man, that's a, that's a New York thing right there, you know? And, and not, it's not just, you know, because New York City is in the, you know, third rail logo, you understand? I think that um, as far as uh, my role goes, it's been pretty exciting, man, because I've been doing this for a couple of years, man. It's always cool to see how when I see one of my PFOs, um on the replay, you know, um, I'm always like, wow, that's that's freaking crazy. Um, the first TFO that I worked on was um, the, the Derby TFO last summer. It was it was um, the we in New York. We have a real Viking army. Yeah. So that was my first yeah. one. And then from there, subsequently, I you know been designing all the other ones. Um, it's been a pretty awesome experience, man. That creative experience is pretty it's pretty involved, man. Let's just put it that way. Um, I don't get paid for any of this, you know, this is strictly volunteer and um, it's always good to know that, you know, the, the work that I do create on that volunteer basis is actually seen. You understand? I mean, yeah. that's one of the reasons why I decided to do it because of the fact that, you know, us artists, man, we could be a bit egotistical. We want, we just want to see our stuff out there. So um, yeah. I, I, and it's important to, for any, any person, any creative um, that comes here, they really have to take the, the, you know, grab the pulse of the city and really, you know, put that into their work. I, you know, I have the, I don't believe in luck, man. You know, I, I believe in, in, in blessings, man. And, and I feel like I've been uniquely blessed to be born in the city of New York. You understand? And to really, you know, I've, I've lived here almost my entire life. I mean, I think there's only three places I've ever lived in. I lived in Hell's Kitchen where I was born in Manhattan. Um, here in the Bronx and then in Yonkers um, uh, in Westchester County. Those are the only three places I've ever lived at. So yeah. I'm, I'm a New York lifer and I, and I feel that I'm able to inject that identity into the work that I do. You understand? So our work has that, you know, unique New York flavor to it. We can, you know, it could have been that we could have hired somebody else who, who, who isn't necessarily within the five boroughs. You know, they could have go to Kinko's in Nashville's case. Gone, gone to Kinko's, exactly. <laughs> you know, they could have done that too, right? But you know, this is why I feel like, you know, I'm in a unique situation where um, I'm from the boroughs. I'm from the, I'm from our, you know, our club, you know, native home. I, I see, you know, I see the, you know, how, how I think, want things to look. And I'm able to express that. And I'm able to put a lot of my own personality into the, into that artwork, you know. As far as like process goes, I'm not going to get too much into that. Because, you know, we got to, you know, there's a few things you got to keep secret. But um, it's just basically tapping into the current New York culture. I think that's that's important, man, because we really, as much as as as, as City has gone and and really enmeshed themselves into the culture of New York City, that's something that we have to draw from as well. So you yeah. know, we're in a unique situation where we can fashion that. So you know, no pun intended. And and the same thing with our TIFO. It's like how we're we gonna take that quick jab and make it look good at the same time. So um, shouts out, yo, and I and I gotta give a couple more shout outs too, man. Um, Shout out to the uh, the TIFO team, man. I mean, 2019 was challenging. Oh, my gosh. I think we did like seven, eight TIFOs this year. No, we did more, actually more like six, seven. But uh, honestly, that, that, that stuff is a lot of work, man. So yeah. um, I, I, I always tell people, like, I got the easy job. I'm the guy behind the iMac, and, you know, I'm the one that gets the design and stuff. But um, just to, you know, get into a little bit of a story about that, um, my first TIFO painted was this, this past season for Bronx Night um, on April 24th. 
um, we were just brought with the idea, hey, listen, I know you guys, you know, you guys are the new guys on the block. You know, we want to give you guys a seat and really announce your, your presence here as, as members of the Third Rail. So, you know, also another shout out to, you know, president of the Third Rail Bronx, Ramon Torres. You know, we went out there. We went to, to, to Randall's Island. We went out and painted, spent the whole day painting um, a panel. And, dude, it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to, to paint a, a 40 by 50 banner. You know, and, and, you know, it was, and, you know, I think we may have had five, six guys show up and it was a lot of work, man. And, and I told myself, that's something that, 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 that you really can't discredit anybody for. They're putting in that time, the effort and energy, you know, and it was really like, it was truly, you know, a bit of a difficult one. I mean, but at the end of the day, I was happy with the end product because, you know, it, it's something that I took a part of, you know, and, and I yeah. really feel that. That's something that, and, and, and um, the third rail, all the supporter groups, you know, that, you know, that I mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a very volunteer driven effort, you know? So, if you, you know, I always, and, and if for our listeners, if you, if you want to make a difference in, uh, in supporter culture, be the, be that difference, show oh, up. Yeah. Volunteer a thermostat, not a thermometer. That's exactly, uh, you got know, that from chance, and, but it's one of the greatest <laughs> things that you could possibly say oh, about chance. supporters culture. You know, it's, it's such yeah, a great quote yeah. and, you know, just doing the small one that we did who for the top hat. Who can forget the top hat, man? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just just the small one that we did for Hartford Athletic because a couple of months ago there was that crash at Bradley Airport, the, um, the yeah. vintage plane that a few people passed away. I actually yeah. had connection to it. Um, one of my English teachers at my high school, his father was one of the people that died in that crash. Right. So I really wanted to do something for it. It was part of the community coming together, you know, especially mm. with Bradley because that's such a hub for a lot of the economics in the state. And um, right. You know, just having two guys paint out that small banner that wasn't really any artwork. It was just sort of commemorating, you know, green and blue, we're with you. Right. Just little things like that. You know, we had just tie back that went across our section. Seeing the right. amount of time it took to get into that really appreciates the fact that you had five or six guys doing TFOs that could fill all the bleachers that you guys fill up at Yankee yeah, Stadium. Yeah. You know, just really appreciating how much work actually goes into that stuff yeah. is it's fantastic and you know being able to build off of some of the stuff that that y'all are doing in in the major leagues and uh, fixating it into our own is it's going right. to be important years to come now that we're starting to build something together here and we've got a core group that is ready for the right. long run you know and yeah there's those growing pains too that. i mean we'll, we'll talk about um I'm sure when we get the Hartford Athletic folks in here, we'll, we'll talk about some of the stuff that's gone on with USL, with some of the uh, CBA negotiations that have come in, and the right. fact that Hartford Athletic was kind of the definitely not the only club, but the one that was sort of thrust into the spotlight for some of those issues with right. player pay and, and some of the ethics that might have been going into that. But, you know, those growing pains will come, but I feel like there's something special coming here, which hasn't happened since the whalers to be honest with you you know yeah, people will say yeah, really, the yard goats really. are good but the yard goats are still baseball it's not really as much yeah, of a sport you know, the yard goats, pursuing, yeah, you know? You know because I, I think they changed their name like what the yard goats had become the yard goats maybe like three four years ago so yeah it's not they like, originally the new britain rock cats and they were down like exactly they moved, south, they moved they came up north to the actual yeah. city built a nice facility the construction was you know pain in the ass because you know there was a whole situation there with it was getting very red tapey there too with actually right. paying for the stadium everything and thank god that a that baseball stadium was too small for a fifa sanctioned field because that meant we were right. forced to not play in a baseball stadium which is something that gets thrown into every usl club it seems like yeah yeah b 
the fact that we had an ownership group that really wanted to have a home of our own, and we had Dylan that was right there, put together and, and to revitalize. It was such an integral part of the history yeah. of the city, too, that we were able to bring back to life. The pieces are coming together in a way that hasn't really exactly. happened economically in general for the state. So I think there's a lot to be excited about in that regard. Yeah, and, and that just goes back to keeping the you know soccer culture local because of the fact that you guys were able to take that stadium. I mean... It, you know, from what I've seen, I think it was in a pretty rundown section of Hartford, basically the old one of the old um in the old industrial area, something like that. Yeah, um, it is. It is in a good it spot. It's maybe like a block away from downtown, so I wouldn't say it's smack dab in the middle, but it's right, right there. You know, those neighborhoods are not too far away. Exactly. So, and I think, and I think that's going to be a lot of investment, and I think that's that's the sort of investment that really needs to happen in like you know small town America, as you see a lot of these clubs popping up. Um, and, and I really feel that, that when you have, you know, it's kind of akin to um, early baseball culture. You know, you understand where you had all these um, barnstorming teams and, you know, baseball was hyper-localized, man, before the formation yeah. of the major league. And I think that that's what's happening now, even though we do have a first division, we have a clear-cut first and second division, um, and, you know, not all the other burgeoning, you know, divisions are coming up. I really feel that, you know, it's not only that, but really developing a foothold in these communities because at the end of the day, you want something that, you know, you, you're trying to build a product with any sort of athletic, you know, athletic team. You're trying to build a product that people are going to want to go to for the next 50, 70, 80 years. You understand what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, and I oh, feel yeah. like, you know, it, it, the, way, the way that uh, modern, modern ownership groups are going about it is, is like, yo, we want to be a part of our community. We want to identify ourselves with our community. And, 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 it, and that's the best way to go, basically, so much as, you know, this being part of the city's identity. You understand yeah. what I mean? Like you talk about the Hartford Whalers, man. I mean, I remember the Hartford Whalers when I was a kid. I'm not even a hockey fan, but the, yeah. the Hartford Whalers were around. You know, and, and you that's knew still one of the highest-grossing teams for yeah. NHL memorabilia overall. And it's been gone for what 25 years now? Exactly. So it, yeah. it built something. It built some sort of some sort of um, communicate with the city. Like you associated the Whalers with Hartford. Obviously, it was in the name, but even if you didn't have, you can just say Whalers. Okay, good. They're from Hartford, Connecticut. You understand what I mean? And, and that's and that's what it really is, is that hyper-localization of, 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 of support. I really feel it's going to help the sport grow to another exponential level in this country. You know, and, and quite frankly, we need it. <laughs> you know? For sure. Now, from your perspective, too, seeing that localization, does that open the door, do you think, for a lot more serious conversations about promotion relegation in your eyes? Is that still both mm -hmm. true, or is it still kind of a situation where those NPSO clubs that want their shot and right. going into dead air once you get further up the pyramid? Well, I feel like, you know something, if we if Pro-Rel was really something that was going to work in um, MLS, it should have been, um, it's inception should have been in 92. You know, understandably so, I think there were about 12, uh, I think it was 12 leagues who went to the, uh, the 12 teams who went to the league originally. Yeah. Um, really yeah, there wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't really a lot as far as pro soccer in this country. I mean, we had the NASL, the NPSL, um, USISL, you know, these are, you know, what became the USL, obviously, and the NASL, and um, it just started forming, forming the modern day pyramid. But I feel that from the very beginning, there was a lot of corporate sponsorship in MLS. I mean, we were going from an era where there were about four different advertisements on every jersey. I mean, that's how it was, man. I mean, this is the only way that MLS is going to make money was because of the fact that they had to sell that. They had to sell those type of advertisements on jerseys and whatnot. You know, that's how they made their money. Now, with that said, you know, I, if, if, I'm, if I'm, you know, uh, Budweiser, if I'm Anheuser-Busch, and I just dropped 24 mil on 
you know, logo placements on about six different jerseys. And I'm not getting that major league exposure. I think I'm going to withdraw my 24 million in sponsorship money. And I think that, that it becomes, um, and I think that's a, it, it, what, what I like to call the corporatization of, um, American, of American sports, where people, are, these, these corporations are investing huge amounts of money into a sport and into, a, into an athletic team, rather, and, and just be able to say, that's a lot of investment we're making, and we don't, wanna, we don't exactly want to see our team in the second division. Okay, worldwide, man, we we see we see stories of uh, promotion relegation and, and how how it works. Our best example is going to be how we look across the pond in England. Yeah. Okay, we have ninety two professional clubs in the English pyramid. Okay, and you know it's it's a, it's a it's a hard thing to work in and out of League Two, League One, you know the Championship, and then the Premier League. At the end of the day, you that's where that's where the romance. Of Sport exists, kind of. You understand what I mean? Um, from a team like Norwich City, who just you know who got promoted again this season, um, and I believe at the, you know at the time of this recording, they are in the drop zone. You know, it's that drama that it brings. You understand what I mean? And I feel that now to where um, MLS is actually expanding. I think um, Sacramento Republic became the 29th team in MLS. We have enough teams to where we can say. We can have a top flight and we can have our second division. The, the beauty of, of English football is a 20-league team. You understand? You have a lot of investment in those teams. But you notice that a lot of the investment is local or local firms with the team. I feel that because of the, the, the amount of money that's being spent in sponsorship money, it, it, it's, a, it's a really, really hard concept to grasp for a lot of people who are, you know, who are investing that money for a lot of those firms. But at the end of the day, that's the beauty of the sport. You know, the, the ball never yeah. lies. If you're a bad team, you're gonna go. You're not gonna exactly play in the top flight anymore. You know, if you're if you're uh, what you call it, if you are a great team who has a great dynasty, you're gonna be up there and you're gonna compete. You're gonna be a competitive team for a very long time. And I really feel that that it's something that MLS and I think that U.S. Soccer really has to look, take a look, good look at the hard, good heart, look at itself in the mirror and say, this is something we need to do. And I feel like. If we're truly going to catch up with the rest of the world, which I see us doing, we need it's things like pro rel that we really need to take a look at. Is it is it feasible? It could be. Could it be a disaster? It could be as well. I think that you know, in order for us to catch up with the rest of the world, yeah, we have to you know institute some kind of pro rel. You know, I think I think the general consensus of how that would come about in sort of more corporate-minded world is the idea of MLS buying out USL and yeah. having kind of a professional pro-rel situation within that. But you, you can't deny that there are clubs out there that are independent, that are still either completely amateur or just getting themselves into a semi-pro status. You know, the Chattanooga, right. the Detroits, you know, you take a look at Milwaukee Torrent, all these places that are spots that haven't been quite captured by either of the two professional leagues yet you know you could argue Red yeah. Bulls, but listen to that episode that's a clear no <laughs> <laughs> me personally i don't even say chattanooga red bulls i just say red wolves because it's not right. it hasn't encompassed that atmosphere yet you know and i don't right. even know if it's going to be a yet because chattanooga sc has been so integral in that community that i think red wolves are going to be completely i don't, I don't think they're going to last too long to be honest so I, I really feel I, I this is this is how i feel about that i feel like um there is um like you've seen the success stories you know last couple of years you know cincinnati fc now we have st louis you know st louis is coming into the league and i'm, I'm gonna hope it's st louis fc you know that that you know that club is, is built a really good base you know in and around the st louis area you have clubs like ford madison that you know you see there they're they're on social media presence 
Twitter is amazing for forward Madison. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, when you see, when you see things like that, that this is what we're talking about, that, that burgeoning soccer culture. This is what we're building. This is the kind of culture that can be uniquely American. This is what I say when we're building that culture here in the United States, we have a very big chance of making it a unique thing. Okay. We can, we can go ahead and borrow different elements from different leagues all around the world. And I think that that's, that's a lot of it was going on, you know, you know, at the birth of MLS. But now I feel like MLS and the teams that are, are in the American soccer pyramid are carving out those niches and are really filling them out to say this is something that's uniquely American, so to speak. So yeah. I, I really feel that, that, that that's, the, that's the great part about American supported culture. And um, just being able to take that leap even, you understand where I think Cincinnati, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the, the, um, their first U.S. Open Cup match, Against, um, I think that the first time they played was actually against Columbus Crew. They had drawn. I think it was. I forget which one came first, but it was Columbus Crew and the Chicago Fire. Both of them, they went through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely, you know, and and you saw the crowds. And I'm and I'm I'm here. I'm watching this. I'm like, whoa! And they're a USL team. This is insane. Yeah. So it's just you know the the move the move from USL to MLS, you know, was it, it was a logical move just because you had enough support to go around. You understand what I mean? So. I feel that that's, that's going to be another issue as well. Like, how many supporters can you draw out to a match? Do you understand what I mean? If you, if you have a, a, that large of a supporter base that's going to come out 35, 40,000 strong each match, then, go, you know, why not? Why, why not have promotion relegation? Same thing with Minnesota United. Minnesota United came out of the Minnesota Thunder. And the Minnesota Thunder, back in the NASL days, were drawing crowds. Okay. Yeah. Now they became Minnesota. They changed their name to Minnesota United and to the MLS. They still have pretty decent attendance. So it's, it's, it's also about the, number, the amount of people you can bring out to a match. You know, um, average MLS attendance is what, 23,000, 24,000? Uh, less than that. I think it took a bit of a hit yeah, this year, 20, but I think it was about 21. Yeah, 21,000. Okay, so you yeah. have 21,000 people who will come out to a match on a regular basis in MLS, right? Which, for all intents and purposes, is still a decent crowd. When, especially sure. when, when, you go, when you go to the Yankees on a midweek game, the Yankees are average about 23,000. Red Sox are in town, 40,000, 40,000-plus. Okay, yeah. that's going to be the thing too. How many supporters can you come out on a regular basis, and how are those numbers? You know, American culture is very you know numbers driven. How many how many of those numbers are you going to bring out to the stadium? How many people are going to come out and say, well, we have X amount of people who are season ticket holders, we have X amount of people who are our regulars who just go to secondary market and get their tickets there. But at the end of the day, putting those buns in seats, saying we can bring you this much. This is what we can do for the community. This is what the you know the, the economic impact we can have in this community. Let's see what we can do. And I really feel that um, not only would promotion relegation work perfectly for that, but it's going to put, it's going to make American soccer way more competitive. For sure. Because now actual stake in it. You can go in, you can go in and go in as a six seed, you know, on any given playoff, you know, playoff run, you can go in as a six seed and win the MLS Cup. You know, we already saw this season with um, both LESC and New York City FC, the top seed means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So for sure. I think that's going to be the the extra element into that would not only be seated, you know, not only, you know, seated one off like we have now in MLS, but a promotion and relegation battle. I think there's going to be another added element that we need to bring in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, seeing where USL is taking things, where the championship expansion fee has gone up so much to $10 million. I feel like that's a situation where it's such a large amount. And I think the investors that are going to be working to get clubs in there, they're going to see that as such a risk that they'll be forced to go down to league one and expand that as a third league. 
And you're seeing that with a lot of the clubs that are coming in, you know, Rochester and Penn FC possibly making comebacks. Uh, mm. Revs are making their reserve team down there. You know, widening out that base so you have three solid national professional leagues that will have their growing pains, but they'll make their way up there in some sort of light. And right. hopefully it'll be a situation where things can pan out in a way where you expand, you know, promotion relegation within League One and Championship. Then you maybe get League Two and NPSL and then I say involved so you can kind of make that bridge between professional and amateur and then eventually right. get into that point where MLS can make their way in it, you know, kind of forming little by little in some sort of way. Because obviously there's going to be the talk about, you know, the contracts of how those expansions were put together, the amount of fees that clubs were forced to pay for that, you know, potentially seeing that drop off. I like to call it the Southampton test just because I remember them going right. from the Prem down to like League One, almost to League Two, and then back up again, roughly 2010 or around that time, I think. So if you can see clubs sustain themselves in a way where they can make that drop off and back up again, anything is possible, really. It, it could happen. It's all about, I think, growing that baseline, growing that sustainability at this point, which might be a pain. That, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I put it I put it to you like this, man. And it, and it kind of works just because of the fact that um, you have you have these leagues in Europe, man. They've been around for hundreds of years. They've been around for 100 plus years, man. I mean, you know, um, if, I think uh, the game was professionalized in England in the 1860s. I mean, it's a really, it's a really, you know, a lot of precedent has been built about it. But yeah. um, also, at the end of the day, man, it's just, it, it, it makes it something that's exciting. It makes it something that that is an actual stake into what we're doing. So I think I think it just it, it raises the stakes up a bit more when you do have that extra element. Like, yo, we better we better get our act together or not. We're playing in a lower division. <laughs> there so, we go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Going into the fan support a bit more because I know eventually it's going to get to that point. I'm sure there's a lot of Cosmos people and whatnot that are kind of giving the nudge about me asking questions about this, but obviously the big issue that was going on in MLS this season was the politics that right. got used in a lot of ways. Um, the Pacific Northwest, especially getting into whether or not the iron front logo is something that would be appropriate for being in supporters culture and all that. And people have their political opinions on that, but I want to go into the conversation with you because you being in third rail have a good point of view of how some of that started. Basically, early on this past season, a Huffington Post article came out basically going into stuff that was already known and was already, for the most part, taken care of. But a few members of the Proud Boys, which was one of the organizations that was down in Charlottesville, had mm -hmm. made their way into the supporters sections for a lot of the games. They were identified. They eventually were kicked out of future matches, if I remember correctly. So really, that was the reason for everybody sort of amping that up conversation up of we want to show ourselves, well, some of the supporters groups saying that we want to show ourselves as as anti-fascist, as people that won't stand for racism, Nazism, that kind of thing. And MLS pushing back after a while and saying that's a little bit too far. So mm -hmm. from your perspective, first off, your point of view of how that whole thing went down, we'll, we'll go into that. Um, what was the what was your view of seeing those people kind of infused into the group, especially with such a diverse supporters culture that's been put together? And, and what was that like hearing about those situations and, and the resulting effect that that, that had? Well, I, I want to preface anything I got to say first by saying that um, New York City um, is the most diverse city in the world. Let's just let's just put it like that. The five boroughs we have 
Um, we have people from all over the world. I can I can go to any borough, and, and, and you know I can go to any borough. I can go to any restaurant, be able to experience a different culture aside from my own, um, and really experience you know and be a bit more cosmopolitan about my my life experience, man. Because you know, like I said, this is a city where everyone wants to come to, man. Everyone has their dreams in New York, man. You make it here, you know. Frankie Sinatra said it best himself: "You can make it here, you can make it anywhere," right? So I really feel that, you know, I, I, like I said before, it's a blessing to have been born in New York City. That said, I really feel like you look at our current political climate, right? We, we, have become, we have become a very divided nation. I mean, you got, you know, a lot of people who, who, who want to hold on to old ideologies, hold on to their own ways, um, things that are changing, you know, cultural norms that are changing at a very, very rapid pace. Um, and I feel that, you know, I, I say this to a lot of people, you know, I'm a man of faith, man. I think this is something you and I discussed um, a, a few weeks ago. I'm a man of faith, man. And I really feel like it's, it's easier to show love than it is hate. You know, it's easier for me in my own heart to, you know, just to love on people and, and to really, you know, show, show what, you know, how much of a changed person I am, right? Um, that's all up to the individual, okay? Um, I really feel that, you know, soccer is a sport. It's a worldwide sport, man, and it has the power to unite us, man. And I feel that, you know, this, that this is something that can happen here. When that article came out in the Huff Post, and a lot, I know a lot of other international outlets that, you know, latched onto that article, um, it was, you know, I, I was just like, you know, it was that, that had, you know, the face palm moment. Like, why? You understand? There was, a, at least, you know, from my own experience, I had seen last year, like last, uh, this is in 2017, I believe, uh, the game against FC Dallas, I had, I had one of the guys who was identified um, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say any names because, you know, you know, people know who these people are. I had a, a, one of the guys who, you know, just looked back at me and said, you know, big man looks like he's next to his hand. Now, Pete, I, you know, you, you know me, I grew up, I grew up in the Bronx, man. There's only, there's only one or two reasons why you're going to tell, you're going to tell me something like that. Either you're trying to test me or you're trying to catch his hand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, and, and it's something that that I had, um, I, I'm just, and I look at him, I'm, I'm looking at dude, I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'm here to soccer game, man. You know something, I'm here supporting my team. I'm not going to have time for that. You know, I, and, 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 that, and that was it. Um, I knew that there was a couple of incidents in 20, 2015 where um, a couple of those guys were in the crowd doing Nazi salutes and whatnot. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Like, this is what you're trying to do? Like, why, you know, why are you trying to be, a, you know, well, who are you trying to be? You understand? I'm not the, you know, I'm not the most patriotic person on earth, man. I mean, you know, but I, at the end of the day, I'm an American. I know, I know, you know, I know enough to have participated in the civic process here and, you know, through voting, um, through jury duty. You know, those are, those are really big to me. Those are very big, big civic responsibilities, right? Um, that's how my voice can be heard. Democracy has its failings. Any political system, any political system set up by a human is going to have its failings. Nothing's perfect, right? So... And as much as democracy does have its failings, um, we have people who want to espouse beliefs of uh, a political system that was defeated, much like much like uh, the Confederacy. We have the fascists were defeated in World War II. The Confederate States of America were defeated in the 1860s during the Civil War. Why are we wanting to hold on to these things? You know, and it really hurts me as as you know as. And, you know, and I hate the term Latinx. I'm not going to use that term here. I use the term Latino, okay? <laughs> you know, Latinx. I'm surprised by that. You're the second person this week because we have somebody in one of the classes yeah. I'm taking who had that same conversation. She's Puerto Rican and she was saying that. It's not yeah. exactly a term that meshes as well as you would think. It's not a part of our language. 
You know, yeah. Hispanic comes from Hispano. You know what I mean? Latino, you know, Latino is you know that that's how we identify ourselves, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I feel that this is you know these ideologies have been defeated. It's these are proven ideologies that have no business in our culture. Why why are you supporting a government that ran against your own government? was counter to your own government, believed in the enslaving of people who they thought were lower than them. How can you possibly support that? How can you support an ideology um, that, that killed, that put millions and millions of, of Jewish people in the ovens? How can you as an American support that? And like I said, Pete, listen, I'm not the most patriotic person in the, you know, in the, in the world, but hey, I was born in the United States. Why would you want to support an ideology that does not include you as a person? Okay? Because, you know, and I hate to use this kind of language, but to me, I'm just another dumb spick to a lot of people. Why would I want to support that? Why would I want to support something that's going to, you know, that, that, that's going to systematically oppress people who are a lot like me and a lot darker than me? You understand what I mean? I can't support that one bit. That's not anything that, that, that any American should have to support. Why, why, as an American, should you be flying a Confederate flag? Does that make any sense? The Confederacy was defeated in the 1860s. We no longer own, have the right to own slaves. We have no human ownership capabilities whatsoever. Why are you still subscribing to that? Why, why, why are you subscribing to that ideology but supporting a sport in which the participants in this sport are of so many different races, so many different skin colors, right? How can you yeah. call yourself a football supporter if you're a racist? That has no place in our sport. You know something? And, and, and I say that because of the fact that you've been reading at the time of this, at the time of this recording, man, you've been reading the, the, what's been going on in the Serie A. Mario Ballas. That's an Italian-American. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> Thank okay. you for bringing that up. As an Italian-American no, yeah, man, definitely, that definitely. Been such a downer. Listen, man, listen, I'm, you know, if, if, if our homies, the cooler kids are listening to this, we don't want to talk about this kind of stuff, but we got to, okay? We have to do <laughs> this type of thing, right? Yeah, so, so I really listen. feel like, listen, you know, Romelu Lukaku was going through it a few weeks ago, you know what I mean? Moise Khan was going through it last year. This has no place. Probably you know, this weekend. If, yeah, exactly, probably again this weekend. You know, if yeah. you have the energy to support a, 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 a game that is played by four-fifths of the modernized world, where four-fifths of the modernized world is so racially diverse, how can you call yourself a racist and a soccer supporter at the same time? That makes absolutely yeah. no sense. Yeah, Okay. Because sure. if, 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 it were really, if it were really so, then all professional soccer players would be blonde hair and blue eyes. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's ridiculous, right? If that's the type of world they want to have, listen, I put it this way, man. We didn't choose our skin color. We never chose where we were born at. Well, okay? We can choose our attitude. It, exactly. We can choose our attitude, man. It's a lot easier to show love than it is hate. You understand what I mean? And, and it just breaks my heart. And when, and when you have, you know, these, you know, our dudes in, in, in our supporter section who are run counter to that, been identified, big band or whatever, hey, listen, we don't need that. We don't need that, man. Yeah. I mean, I honestly feel like, like I said, man, I will say this to my last breath. This is a city of almost 9 million people from all different parts of the world coming together, sharing the same immigrant experience, sharing the same experience as Americans, sharing the same like sort of um, immigrant experience. You understand what I mean? 
And to be quite honest with you, it, it gets to a point where it's sickening because of the fact that why should we have to do, why should we have to go through this as an American society? I mean, like I said, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not the most political person either. Could it be our current administration? <laughs> Could it be our current administration that, that's, really, that's really enabling and supporting this type of behavior? It could be, right? But at the end of the day, how, how, you know, when we have a, the president that we have, when we have members of Congress you know, that we have, you can see why we're so racially divided when, you know, things are not so subtle as they used to be when we have a president that has no problem telling you to your face, I'm a racist, I'm a nationalist, right? And that's further dividing us. And I feel like that element of our population is becoming more and more empowered just because of that fact. You understand what I mean? So, yeah, you know, soccer has yeah. become politicized. So, yeah, people are having a fly iron front flag. Of course. Because you know something? As far as, as, far as you have people who support totalitarian and you know totalitarian governments and so as you have people who so who, who support uh repressive regimes and things like that you're gonna have people who are gonna want to stand up for the rights of the people who can't stand up for themselves you know and you're gonna have these protests you're gonna have these 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 these, these issues until people and, and you know something what really hurts me Pete, is just the fact that people who defend this kind of behavior just want to be defend the the, the, the the right to be racist i'm sorry that's that, that has no place in that sport Absolutely at no level whatsoever, man. I don't, I don't care if it comes from Italy. I don't care if it comes from Argentina. I don't care if it comes in the United States. That type of attitude has no place in our sport. FIFA has, has gone a, a long way into labeling this the beautiful game, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's the, it's the beautiful game. But I feel that the only way this is going to change, Pete, is for the individual to change his attitude. Why does that individual feel that way towards... Um, um, towards um, people of African descent. You understand? Why do people feel this way towards people of South American descent? That has to be something that you have to look into yourself and really see why you have those attitudes towards people who aren't of the same race. Okay? Yeah. Whether it be political, whether it be because, you know, this is something that, that, that always boggled my mind, right? My stepfather, man, my stepfather was from Puerto Rico. He's still alive, right? So basically, he's the man who raised me. You know, my, my father skipped out on me and my mom when I was very young. Um... And so I remember my stepfather being very racist, right? And I, I remember, you know, him always telling me, don't be like me. You know, because, you know, when I, you know, part of the Bronx I grew, I grew up in, where I still live now, it's, it's very diverse. You know, I, I grew up uh, Cambodian families down the block, Jamaican families down the block. Um, also the Caribbean families, Puerto Rican, Dominican, a couple of South American families. I, you know, I'm in the projects, man. The projects can be pretty diverse if you really look at it, right? So, yeah. you know, it was something where I learned to love people from other cultures. And I learned very at a very young age to embrace other cultures, to say, well, you know something, someone's different than me, let me learn from them. You understand? And I feel that if, 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 that, if I can change my attitude in, in, within a generation, Imagine if, if, if everyone started to decide or really started to think, why do I think like this? Why do I, why do I not like somebody who's different than me? Why do I not like this or that? You know, and, and, and take a really long, hard look at yourself. If you call yourself a football fan and if you're a racist, I'm sorry. Those are two contradictory things right there. <laughs> you know, they, they, they clash so much. Sure. Man. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, uh, I think I'm going to have to end it off on that, but there's a moment to hope there. So we'll, we'll see how time comes along and, 
you know, as long as we all stick together, you know. Yeah, definitely, man. I really, I really feel that's going to be, you know, that you know, our this, 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 this sport can really teach us how to stand together as one and just support a team no matter what, you know. And 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 I feel that that's going to be if we're going to take if we're going to take especially American supporter cultures to that next level, we all have to be united between one, the one thing, and that's our club. There we go. All right, Phil. Thanks for your time, man. It's been Not a problem. pleasure to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Before I before I let you go, Pete, I just want to give a shout a couple shout outs if I can. Go ahead. All right, go ahead, man. All right, so man, I want to give a shout out to the, um, uh, the third rail. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our chapters, third rail, um, third rail nine one four, third rail Connecticut, um, third rail Bronx, obviously, um, and, and you know third rail Jersey. Um, also, want to give a shout out to the, all the other supporter groups um, within the, in, you know, within um, our supporter groups. You know, um, I want to give a shout out to the Templados. I want to give a shout out to New York City SC, the Minervas. I want to give a shout out to Heart of Oak, um, NYC Ultras. Um, I just want to give, you know, just a shout out to all those guys because, you know, something they're with us in all those sections. Um, and I also want, just want to give a shout out to um, volunteers within the third rail. You know, this is such a volunteer driven organization and um, we need each and every one of us to step up and really make this something very special. So, um, yeah, that's about it, man. And shout out to shout out to you, Pete. Definitely. Bro. There we go. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you very much. All right, Pete. Take care, my brother. Thank you guys so much for watching. Once again, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, leave a review wherever you get your podcast at whatever format. Obviously, that allows more people to see the show. And I'm going to keep peddling this until the event's over. Find the pinned tweets on my personal Twitter account at ThatGeekFromJFK or the Twitter account of the 19th Regiment at Hartford's 19s. Quote tweet it with the hashtag 19sFTK. Leave a donation of $5 or more. You'll be entered for a chance to win a $25 gift card to any location of your choice. We got more shows coming soon. There's actually a bit of a queue right now. I'm going to try and roll these out as quick as I can. Um, I have a lot going on, so the speed is going to be the best I can possibly do. But we'll give it as much of a try as we can. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you have a good one.